You know, when it uh, comes to the subject matter that, that I love to talk about, I'm trying to get this mic adjusted here, if that's better. Um, this subject is so near and dear to my heart. I have, my life has been changed so many times and, and strengthened and encouraged by, by the giftings of God. The word from the Lord has changed so much for me. We're here tonight because of a word from the Lord. Uh, I, was, I, I was brought up in a, a church of the frozen chosen. <laughs> you know, I, when Jesus said, you know, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, I'll be with you to the end of the world. But wait, we, I think my group said, but, but we'll go, get, we'll, we, we got it, we got it from here. But Jesus said, wait until you be endued or filled with power from on high. It takes the Spirit of God to do the work of God. We have a job in, in, in line with that, of course, and that's to be moved and changed and filled and, and led by the Holy Spirit. And that's our job. Uh, you know, I, I put a little caption on, on my original note pack that I was going to do, I thought, uh, and it talked about the ways of the Spirit. And I want to just touch on that just for a moment because there's a powerful verse, I think. It's something that I've thought about and tried to remember and, and, and reflect on many times. It's Psalm 103, verse 7. It says, The Lord made, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. And this really describes two levels of walking with God, and they're drastically different. Um, I looked up the word ways in the original languages. I don't speak Hebrew, but uh, I've read from a guy that does. And um, what it said in there was really interesting. Talking about the ways of God, it indicates a certain course of life or mode of action and the root word for that, that kind of even more expands on that, is a picture of someone stringing a bow by bending it. I have one at home that somebody made for me here several years ago. It was made out of Osage orange wood, which sounds pretty exotic, but actually it's a thorn tree. And uh, this, this bow uh, is very strong. And to, in order to string that bow, you have, to, you have to put one foot on it here and step on the other side of it here, and you have to bend it. It takes a lot of force to bend it down and to hook that string on there. Until you put the string on the bow, it's just a stick. Just a stick. It's a terrible weapon. But once you get that string on that puppy... You can do some serious damage. That is the picture of what we are without the agency of the Holy Spirit. We can do some damage to the kingdom of darkness. But until the Spirit enables us, we are mere men with a theory. Are you breathing? A lot of church life is like that. We've got the rules down. We know the truth, but we're powerless 
I was brought up in a church that loved God, and, and I was born again in that, in that environment. But I never saw much that would indicate to me God was still alive. But when I was in college, the Lord poured out His Spirit on a secular campus in Arkansas where I was at the time studying uh, to be a wildlife and fisheries biologist. And although I was born again, I wasn't really living it. I don't want anybody raising their hands, but I, I think some of us in this room know what that's like. And I, I really was in trouble, and I was in trouble spiritually. And something happened on our campus in one semester. God poured out his spirit on that campus. Before that, before that semester was over, there was over 400 kids giving up lunch every day to go and worship and praise God, and people were being filled with the spirit. We saw two blind people heal. One of them was a girl that had been blind for 20 years that we went to school with. One of the first people I ever prayed for as a, as a spirit-filled person uh, was her. And when I saw her coming for prayer, I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, I hope she only has a cold. <laughs> I, I, seriously, that was my thought. And um, she came in front of us, a couple of us guys. We were deep theological students. We had been saved about three months. <laughs> we knew all things. But we knew that our job was to pray for her in the name of Jesus, lay our hands on her. And we did so. Which, you know, we, I didn't know how to pray, but I'd heard Oral Roberts' prayer from the crown of her head to the sole of her feet kind of thing. I, I, I repeated that. And, and the guy with me, he's about the same boat, you know, we, we, we probably had six months total uh, history in, in the kingdom. And um, we prayed for her and she began to, to move and, and blink her eyes, which were totally opaque white. And uh, she said, I, 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 I see blue. And I had a blue shirt on, and I thought, oh, Lord God, I would not want to get my sight back after 20 years and see me. <laughs> Blindness has its benefits. But she didn't have her sight totally yet, and so we'd read enough scripture. We remember when Jesus prayed for somebody twice, and so we prayed again. And lo and behold, she got her sight completely. Here's the thing. In a moment, an overt act of God gets the attention of people that never pay any attention. There has to be something that causes the kingdom of God to stand out in sharp relief from the normal world. That period of time that we were talking about there was a period of time when God was pouring out his spirit on an entire generation called the Jesus Movement. That particular revival was phenomenal. Some of you have probably seen the Jesus Revolution, and that was pretty accurate. I was in California when that was going on, and it was very accurate. But following that there was an even greater move of God called the charismatic renewal in which God began to pour out his spirit on all kinds of people, 
generations. It didn't matter how old you were. It didn't matter whether you were a Catholic or an Episcopal or a Nazarene or a Baptist or, or, or Assemblies of God or Apostolic. It didn't matter. It seemed like the water level of kingdom activity rose to the point where all of those spheres of people were brought in. I, I wasn't at this meeting, but I, I was with a group that were there in Mexico City during that period of time when 9,000 Catholics were baptized in the Holy Spirit in one day, including cardinals and everybody way, way, way up in the Catholic Church. I, I was still wet behind the years and, I, years, and I was still in Phoenix, and I was invited by the Catholic diocese there in Glendale, Arizona, to come and lead a Life in the Spirit seminar. I mean, we had nuns and priests and, and bishops and, and people way, way up, and they were all hanging on every word because God had made them hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had a lifelong friend, Harold Bradison, that was, was a Lutheran, and God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and he went around the world. He, he, saw, he saw things that, that would make you and I just die to be there. And I'm saying all that to say this. That changed the church world. Used to be if you had 300 people in your church, you had a big church. Not anymore. God has done some things that are very demonstrable and fill people with the Spirit and change their lives in such a way that nobody can gainsay or resist the fact that God is in them. Now, when we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, one of the problems we have is it seems to make people feel like, well, you know, it segments the good, strong Christians from the weak Christians and the haves and the have-nots. Hello? No. If you're born again, you're a child of God. But you know, there's some of us that are unstrung. Some of us are not empowered yet. We've got theories, we've got good truth, we love Jesus, we're born again, we're going to heaven. But the problem is that we don't have enough power to do anything. And our prayers don't seem to matter. And I know all of us feel that way sometime, but I'm just here to tell you that spirit-led prayers are the ones we want to be praying. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But I want to do something tonight because the, the lightning rod gift is speaking in tongues. It shouldn't be because when the Spirit of God fell on the church on the day of Pentecost, they all did it. And Peter stood up demonstrably a brand new guy. Somebody not like the guy that denied the Lord three times and, and even the last time in front of a little girl, he stood up in front of the Jewish people and all the people gathered there who said, what manner of thing is this that's going on in this upper room up here? We hear people speak the mighty works of God and some people thought they were drunk. And he said, no, it's, they're not drunk because it's only nine in the morning. I don't know if he's implying they'd be drunk later. <laughs> I don't think so, but he's saying, look, it's obvious. And he began to preach, and man, he laid it out. He preached a sermon that man could never have preached with his understanding of the Bible. He was bold. He said, you crucified the Lord, of, the Lord Jesus Christ, who God has raised up and made both Lord and Christ. When he was done with that sermon, 
the people that had said, his blood be upon us and upon our children said, they had a different tune now. They said, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Because now he wasn't preaching doctrine. He wasn't preaching Judaism. He was preaching the kingdom of Almighty God under the unction, the power, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which presses on through all of the, all of the questions, all of the issues, all of the fears, all the pride, and touches a heart and says, you have need of me. I love that. And then he said, this is what you now see in here, this is for you. It's for your children. It's for all those afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he's no respecter of persons. And last time I checked, he had issued a whosoever will may come invitation. So we really need to put to bed the argument that my particular group always had was this gift perished with the death of the last apostle. These gifts, we don't need them today because we have the Bible. And when you open that Bible, you will find two entire chapters sharing with us what the gifts are and how they should be utilized and governed within the church. And since God is not the author of confusion, we must deduce from that that he didn't leave two chapters in there that were now null and void. And once we see what these gifts do, why on earth would God ever pull the plug on them? Because they're so effective in meeting the needs, dealing with demonic power, directing us so that we, like Peter, can stand and another will lead us where we would not go. All of this is meant to make us functional and powerful and desirable to people that need God. It's not, you know, I joked about this many years that we treat the Holy Spirit like the weird uncle. Who don't want anybody to see him? Like he's going to get out of hand. He's going to be weird. We are weird. He's not weird. And by the way, he's not separate from God the Father and God the Son. We act like they're three different guys that are doing their own deal. They're one. The Father is the divine will. He decides what should be. He issues the Spirit to go and prepare the way like in creation and every other thing that we've seen happen in the Bible. The Spirit precedes the Word. And the word is spoken into that environment of the Holy Spirit, which builds receptivity and understanding. It quickens the natural mind, which on its own is at war with God. So God wants to be inside us. He doesn't just want to have a truth out here we behold and see if we agree. He is in us, a well of water springing up to life eternal. And the Spirit has a behavior, He has a mode of operation. He has, a, he has a, a many things he can do for you you cannot do for yourself. And in doing them for you, he equips you to do for others. He equips you to be a picture. Jesus would say to his disciples, Philip would say, if you just show us the Father, it would be enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip, 
Have you been with me so long and you don't know? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And not too long after that, he says, guys, I've been with you. All this stuff's been going on. I'm going to leave. It's best for you. It's best for you. Because I'm going to send you another comforter. Another comforter, two powerful words. Another means another one like myself that would do what I would do if I were with you physically. So when you think of who the Holy Spirit is, he's Jesus in universally applicable form. Oh, yeah, we call him by his name. We call him the spirit of truth, the spirit of the Lord, you know, on and on. He, you know, don't get hung up on the, on the name Holy Spirit because he's, he's, he's the third person in the picture. But here's the problem. We, we have an issue because the kingdom of God and, and, the, and all the, the world of the spirit is not like our world. So God has employed something called anthropomorphism, which calls, uh, calls us to understand something about an ununderstandable aspect of God, and he pictures it in human form. That's why Jesus was so important in the whole thing, because we could see God in human form. What would God be like? What would God do? What would the power of God be like if it were on earth? So he becomes our model, he becomes our savior, he becomes the coming king. He's all those things to us. But he says, I'm one place in one time, one place at one time in this situation. So it's best for you if I go and I will send the comforter. The comforter means one who stands alongside. He comes alongside. He does even more than that. He comes inside. And he walks in through us what Jesus would do if he were you. Does that make sense? That's the goal. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're saying, God, come and do in me what you would do if you were me. That that simplifies everything for us. It's not a weird uncle. It's the Spirit of God. Bringing God-like characteristics to be vested in your life so that people, wouldn't it be wonderful? What, what, a, what a great goal for being a Christian if we could somehow legitimately say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, he was so complete, none of us are going to get there. And we've got a history. You know what I'm saying? But... God can deposit in us things that can't have come from any other place. And people could be, if they knew us before, they know us now, they ought to be able to say, whoa, I see a change. And that change can only happen through the agency of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus said, I'm going to pray the Father, and the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And he sent him, and he hasn't recalled him. He said, I will be with you forever. The only way that's possible is through the Holy Spirit. So 
When we talk about the, the fullness of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is absolutely to be considered normal. And if we, if we get away from that, we're going to lose it. So let me, let me walk you through. Um, gosh, I've got so many things I could go to, but let me, let me walk you through this. I think this is important because there are so many cool things God does through the tongues. You're going to be amazed. I hope. You know, Jesus, well, let me just take the first point. We, we participate in a tangible sign when we speak in tongues. Jesus said this would happen in the lives of them that believe. He said, all these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. We will cast our demons, my note says. I don't know about yours, but... Uh, uh, that we will cast out demons. The, the very fact that the Holy Spirit begins to fill us is going to expose demons and make them powerless before you. But if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, they will scare you out of your ever-loving mind. And they will deceive you day in and they will deceive you day out and they will wreck your life wherever possible. And God gives us ability to deal with all that kind of thing. But he also said, and they will speak with tongues. I've heard people say, God just can't give people a language. Well, those folks in Babel ran into that problem. <laughs> not, not for the purposes God does it for us, but for their day, they were becoming apostate. They were, they were building a tower into heavens, and God knew that arrogance was getting into the people. And God said, let's go down and confuse their language. And so one moment you were talking to your friend in whatever Italian or, or whatever it might have been, and the next moment you were speaking Slovenian, and he said, what's wrong with that guy? And so pretty soon they scattered and filled the earth according to God's plan anyway. But God gave them languages automatically, and he gave them the ability to understand the other language, and they weren't even born again. So you think God can't give you a language? Tongues of men, tongues of angels. You'll have tongues of men that can be understood sometimes. I've actually been in prayer meetings where I heard people praying in Spanish that didn't know Spanish. We know on the day of Pentecost that people uh, heard their own language, people giving glory to God. It's amazing. But the bottom line of this thing is here, Jesus said that it would happen, and it's such an important thing for many of us because we're rationals, rationalistic, and, and, ra and rational thinking is important to us. There, so there is the eye gate issues in life, and when we don't see something, it's hard for us to believe it. So God says, okay, I'm going to let you see it. Now, that's not the only reason. That's the small reason. But I tell you what, it does a lot of us good sometimes to realize that we can release the Spirit of God and pray in tongues. And you can't, I try it, just, just try it without God's help. It'll be a joke. But I will promise you this, I can start speaking right now, and I could speak in tongues all night long. And, and you, you, begin to feel, you begin to feel it welling up inside you. You begin to sense that something's going on. Of late, 
of late, I have found God just in, in powerful, just, ugh, it just flows out and you know something's going on. In fact, I'll tell this little story. If I get started telling stories, it's going to be bad, Josh. Uh, when I was still in college, we used to go out on weekends. We'd actually hitchhike to the places we wanted to, to go preach. And, and uh, we, we went to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and we were on the streets ministering that night. And all of a sudden, I just get this, just, oh, gosh, something's going on in my heart here. What's going on? It wasn't physical. And, and, a, and a name came to mind that happened to be a guy who lived here in town that, that I used to party with. I hadn't seen, his name was Mike. I hadn't seen Mike for years. And our, our worlds had gone different ways. And, uh, and I just, I couldn't get off my mind. And I literally excused myself and went to the car and began to pray in the spirit. I didn't know anything. I hadn't seen Mike. Didn't have any idea anything about his life. And I prayed, and I remember it was something like 11 o'clock, almost on the, on the money, that, that the sense lifted. It was okay. So I went back out on the streets, and we were there for maybe 30 more minutes. Woke up at about 7 o'clock the next morning, same thing. And I'm praying again. Oh, man, this is weird. I've not had this happen before. And I was praying, praying, praying. And then it lifted, and we went to preach to the church, and I got back to, to Russellville, which is where I was going to school. And, and on Monday night, I had some people invite me down to a Bible study that was going on at a bank building downtown. I didn't tell anybody on campus I was going. I just went and was leading that Bible study. And somebody interrupted me and said, hey, there's, there's a guy named Mike out here. He traveled from Springfield, and he's looking for you. And uh, I said, really? I walk out, and there stands Mike. I haven't seen him in two, three years. And uh, he started to tell me. I said, time out. Just what happened to you Saturday night at 11 o'clock? He said, whoa. I can't believe you're asking me, man. We, we were partying down at the Finley River, and we were, at, we were out camping out there. And, and about, about 1045, these guys showed up with cars and clubs, and they were going to beat us. I said, really? What happened? He said, just about 15 minutes later, all the yelling and screaming stopped, and these guys looked at one another, got in their cars, and left. I said, Okay. What happened at 7 a.m. the next morning? He said, well, what, how do you know? He said, we were still camped out the Finley River, and it started to rain. It was just coming down in buckets, and we all just broke camp, and I got in my car, and, and I was driving back to town. And, and when I hit Battlefield and, um, and, and uh, Fremont, that was back in the day. It was a small intersection at the time, and that, that intersection used to fill with water. And his car went out of control. And he said, three or four cars just missed me by a hair. And I said, hey, Mike. The reason I knew that is the Lord put you on my heart at, 11, at about 1045 the other night. And I prayed for you till right at 11 o'clock. That's why I asked about 11 o'clock. And the same thing happened the next morning at 7 o'clock. Mike got saved. You see, God is not limited to your time and your space. 
He, he knows all things. Wouldn't it be awesome if he would entrust things like that to us on a regular basis for somebody else? That's only one out of ten points. I've got to move. <laughs> Number two, we speak directly to God and our spirit prays without distraction and interference. It's like a constant hotline to heaven at all times. I am convinced, I'm convicted by this fact that I believe many people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit but only spoken tongues once. Or maybe a few times when you have a good meeting sometime, you know, it's powerful, everybody's into it. But I'm going to tell you what, this should be your staple for lots of reasons. And if I stop interrupting myself, we'll get to them. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says the following, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. No one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Mysteries are defined as secrets that have been divinely revealed. Much like what I just mentioned to you. You know, I've heard people say, well, I don't understand a thing when you're speaking in tongues. Well, I wasn't talking to you. That's why. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. That's most of the time. But here's the good news about that. Your innermost being is what lives forever, your spirit. And the real you, the real you is your spirit. And your spirit's talking to God. They're having a conference. Lord, I'm having trouble with this flesh. My mind is giving me fits, Lord. Well, whatever. There's a battle. But your spirit is where the Holy Spirit is lodged. And when your spirit's talking to God, he's talking about the real stuff. Not your list of things that I want him to do. We'll get to that one later. Number three, we experience supernatural evidence of God in our life. When the early church was getting its foothold in the world, the Jews at that time, the born-again Jews, even though Jesus had said otherwise, they believed that the Messiah was only for Israel. But then some things happened. Cornelius' house event for, for Peter was one of those. And, and, and when they went out, they, they preached the gospel, and the Spirit of God fell on these people, these Gentiles that can't have a relationship with their God, they thought. But when they heard them speaking in tongues, they said, it's just like what happened to us in the beginning. So as a result of that, who can forbid baptism for them? This was huge. It went against everything they'd always believed. But in a heartbeat, God torpedoed their theology. There's a lot of theology that needs a good torpedo. <laughs> it's because you don't understand it or I don't understand it doesn't mean God's not all over it. 
But we have theology. We need to have a study of the Bible. We need to have solid things that we, we adhere to. And we don't just call everything God. Are you there? Because the Bible also was breathed by the Holy Spirit through a bunch of different people saying the same stuff. It all fits together like a puzzle. And so we need to understand that the Holy Spirit of God is not just free for all. There are rules he plays by, and they are the scriptures. So there's just a lot there that we need to to grab hold of. Um, Number four, I love this one. Please get hold of this one. We pray perfect prayers that will bring results when we speak in tongues, when we pray in tongues. Here's the scripture. For likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Can I get a witness? But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, which cannot be uttered. And that literally means uh, things which are unable to be put into words. Do you ever sense that? uh, You know, I just, Lord, there's uh, something. uh. Well, the Spirit of God himself makes intercession for us. Now, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints, listen now, according to the will of God. Now, this is a key because of the next scripture I'm going to give you. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we know that we have the petition that is desired of him or what we have asked from him. So this is why I say it's perfect prayer. Because the Spirit of God is not going to pray a prayer that the Father won't hear. And if he hears you, you got it. I have found that my praying for my will in situations is arbitrary. Sometimes God gives me the desire of my heart, like the scripture says, with leanness of spirit. But I find also that as I pray in the spirit, it seems like my prayers get less and less selfish, the ones that I'm praying in my understanding. The end of the matter is I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing in the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. One of the most beautiful sounds on the planet broke out during the charismatic renewal when thousands of people would be in a meeting somewhere and all of a sudden a melody would start coming out of the crowd and just a rising noise of people praying in the tongues. It's like they all had the same sheet of music. It's beautiful. I mean, chills will run up and down your spine. It is an absolute joy to hear that kind of thing because you know it's pure worship, it's pure intercession, it's pure prayer, and it's a pure joy to the heart of the Father. When he hears his kids repeat, how many of you get a charge when something you 
pounded into your kids growing up, they start repeating back to you. You think you're going to deny them what they're asking? It's, a, it's what has to happen when we come into agreement with God. When you agree with God, it's only a matter of timing at that point. So understand this, that praying in the Spirit, even though you don't understand, is one of the most powerful things you can do because you are on target with God. And this is powerful because, like Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 2, 19, 9 through 16, the natural, natural man perceives not the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. And we're all born with a natural mind. And so God has to somehow short circuit that editorial power that our mind has over what God can and can't do. It's a powerful thing when you understand that praying in the Spirit is not something God has to work through. God's helping you do it. He's getting you on the same page with him subconsciously. In your spirit, man, there's something beginning to, to live inside. And we're going to talk about something here in a minute that will make more sense out of that. Uh, number, number, what is it, five now. We build up our faith when we pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, this one is really something I wanted to read to you with a little bit of context out of Jude. And the last verses. Are, are, you'd feel like we're reading out of the newspaper today. We were told in the last times that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. You hear them every night on the news. You see them in the news stories doing what they do. But he, and then he says this, but you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So I would say to you, maybe that's why I've been feeling such unction lately to pray, and it just, yeah. I'll be mowing the yard and that happens to me. I'll be doing all kinds of things, and suddenly I'm, I'm feeling myself being drawn into that because I know there's intercession going on. There's edification for me because I've sensed God, God's heart. But I will tell you this, there is no reason why we shouldn't be praying in the Spirit every moment we possibly can. When we're driving in our car, when we wake up in the middle of the night, pray under your breath, even in the midst of a situation at work, you can do some damage for the kingdom. This is a gift that never stops giving. I'm telling you, it's so powerful. The next one here is we initiate significant communication with God. Now, tongues is not a panacea when we don't come to church and we just speak in tongues all the time. You know, Paul said, I'd rather speak five words that somebody can understand in the church than 5,000 that they can't. But that doesn't mean you can't be speaking under your breath. That doesn't mean when you're worshiping, you can't be speaking in tongues. It doesn't mean there's no, there's no limits on that. But here, let's just realize this. As powerful as it is, this is a place where we don't do things to draw attention to ourselves. That's one thing that gets in the, in the way of the move of God. This is God's house. There ought to be some level of reverence in it. 
The fear of the Lord ought to settle over us sometimes. When we talk about a spirit-filled church, often we make the mistake of thinking a spirit-filled church is jumping all the time. We, we think it's, it's about the music. No, no, it's about the friendliness. No, no, it's about the joy. No, it's about the happiness. It's about the, it's about God. And there's moods in the kingdom. Sometimes God is overjoyed to what he sees. Sometimes God's burdened. Sometimes God's angry. What I'm trying to say to you is the spirit of God is, is not some goofy thing that makes us, tells us it's all right when everything's not all right. In the house of God, we, we come with certain reverence. We don't prophesy beyond our gift. We don't speak in tongues so we're, you know, basically getting in, in the way of our neighbor. We're here to worship God, not exercise our power. Our thing there's a lot of things that people think is, is really anointed, you know, and they do weird things. But the bottom line of this thing is it should be vertical in nature. But we should also consider horizontally what I'm doing is it distracting someone else. So if you speak in tongues out loud in the church, let there be an interpreter or be quiet and speak to yourself to God. It doesn't negate what you're doing. It just shows you don't have wisdom in what you're doing. Now, I'm, not talk, I'm talking about other churches now. I'm not talking about this church. But, but it's very important that we understand that, that we have significant uh, communication with God, even if it's not to be interpreted. But understand that. Grow up in your gift. And uh, it's, it's good for all of us. Nextly, we pray effectively for things we forget or don't even know. I've kind of hit that one uh, a bit in, in the past here, but it says this, for if I pray in a tongue, which is basically making requests and petition in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding, as I mentioned earlier. Next one is very important too. When we pray in an unknown tongue, we give thanks well, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 17. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So the, I call these gateway prayers. The, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. I have a feeling that much of our prayers are not entering the gates with thanksgiving, but entering the gates with whining and request making. Again, not for this church, but for many people out there, that's a problem because the only time they pray is when they need something. How long has it been since you just sat down and had a talk with God and said, Lord, thank you? I had one of those times yesterday. I just started looking back at all the things that the Lord has done and, and led me through and, and invited me into, and I thought, oh, Lord, I know me. And I know where I came from. Thank you. I mean, I couldn't have saved myself. But yeah, start right there. I couldn't have saved myself. But Lord, thank you. But here's the thing. When you pray in a tongue, your spirit is giving thanks. And, and that makes, you know, it's a picture in the Old Testament of the outer court, inner court, and the holy holies. 
We make sacrifices outside, and sacrifice of praise is one of those. And you give a thank offering, and you move on into the presence, and pretty soon you're inside in the holy place where there's a, where there's a candelabra that speaks of illumination and a showbread which speaks of the Word of God. And you're in there in a place where you can be illuminated as you feast on the Word. And that's one of the byproducts of this whole thing of attuning my heart with God's heart is the revelation of Scripture becomes amazing. You begin to see things you never saw before. You get a brand new Bible, I promise you. The more full you get with the Holy Spirit, that Bible will begin to just come alive to you and you can't get enough of it. Nextly, we convert the greatest enemy. Listen to this one. This one, if I only had one thing to preach, this would be it. We convert the greatest enemy of our spiritual maturity into an asset that will advance it. For we stumble, James says, in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. Wow. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they may obey, that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. Look at the ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. I love the picture of that. Even so, the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is also said among the members that it defiles the whole body. When we defile our body, we begin to quench the Spirit of God. It says here it also sets the, on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. But what if that same monster is set on fire by heaven. Reverse all those things we just said. Think about when you let your tongue be like the pen of a ready writer, as it were, in the Scriptures, and you begin to, to share your heart with God through the Spirit. And every once in a while, you'll know you need to pray this or you want to declare that. All of it flows together because it's a work of the Spirit using your mouth. You can't tame it by yourself. That sucker's going to get you in trouble. But like that ship, I love the ocean, I love boats, I love all that stuff. And that picture is so true because you can see a massive tanker at anchor somewhere in a harbor. That thing is longer than several football fields. And if you look at the back of it, that rudder is maybe eight or nine feet long. Small comparison. And, and no matter how rough the water is, no matter how much wind there is, that helmsman knows that if he turns that rudder a certain way, how many degrees, he knows what kind of turn he's going to get and how many hundred yards and so forth and so on. Let me just tell you, remember this. Don't forget this one thing if you don't forget any, if you forget everything else from tonight. Your tongue, when unleashed on a regular basis praying in the Spirit is going to make a huge difference in the direction and the quality of your life. Guaranteed. 
The word cannot be broken. This principle will happen to you. You will find things happening in your mind and heart. You will find other gifts flowing because here's the thing. This is, a, this is just one of the nine gifts. And when you get used to responding to this one, which some call the least, God can afford to give you others that are greater in impact. Faithful in little yields rulership over much. So before you prophesy people into a new job or a mate or whatever it is, you better exercise your tongue when nobody's listening but God. And the more you do it, the more you recognize the spirit. The more you recognize with discernment a wrong spirit. Because there's a sense, it's kind of like you, it's like muscle memory in the spirit. If you practice a, a golf move long enough, you don't have to think about it anymore. Whatever skill sets you've got, you keep doing that thing over and over again. You don't have to think about it anymore. It's like that with the Spirit of God because the more you invest yourself and be faithful of what you've got, the Lord begins to give you other things and you will recognize him. You will have thoughts come to you in the grocery store. You will have, have things happen to you that you just know before it happens. That's God. Amazing things happen. But we have to start with what we get. And this was number one gift. A lot more I could say about that one. Do you know, with all these things in mind, it's easy to see why the Apostle Paul, who had a walk with God that most of us could only dream of, made this emphatic statement that the church should never, ever, ever forget. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was, a, he was a rabbi of the rabbis. He was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and heard the voice of God. He was healed of blindness. He was filled with the Spirit. He walked in places and did things that he, no man could even imagine that the man could do. And yet he says, with all his pedigree, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. If a great leader who was used so greatly by God would place such value in this gift, it seems to me that we should all take his statement to heart. I add my puny voice to the great apostle Paul and I say, I thank God. I probably speak in tongues at least as much as anybody here, maybe more than most. And I don't regret one breath I have expended in that direction, but I sure as the world regret some breaths I've expended in other directions. Can I get a witness from somebody in here? Tonight as we close, there's a banquet table of blessing, illumination, understanding, power, healing, and all kinds of things that the Spirit of God wants to, wants to pass out. 
And I'm going to ask you to stand tonight as we come to a time of the altar. I'm going to ask the, to ask the, the prayer team leaders, please come. Ministry team, come. Folks, we have not because we ask not. And let me, let me just talk to you for a second about this speaking in tongues business. A lot of people fail to move on into that arena because they're expecting something that isn't going to happen. When you come to a place of asking the Lord to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, don't expect that he's just going to take over your mouth and you have nothing to say about it. It says, they spoke. You must give your tongue to that task. You must use the breath in your lungs and you must allow the voice to come and don't edit. You know, you'll, you'll make a sound, that doesn't sound like it. That doesn't sound like God. No, no, no. Don't edit it out with your brain. Your brain is not your friend in this regard. Remember, it's a natural brain. It's the enemy of God's will at nine times out of ten until you bring it under control. But here's the thing. You give your voice, you give your breath. No, you can't make it up. But you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and as he did on the day of Pentecost, there was a breath that came. In Genesis, we read where God created all the creation, and then he created man. And the only differential between all the other creations and man was that God breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. On the day of Pentecost, there was a shaking in the house, and a mighty wind came, and I believe with all of my heart that it was God breathing the breath of life into the church as she became a living entity, the church of the firstborn. So today, you, let's ask him together, okay? Right now, let's ask him together. And you, you come. Come on. If you want prayer tonight for today, if you, if you haven't spoken in tongues in a long time, if it's gotten dry for you and you, you did it one time or two times or used to do it all the time, you don't do it anymore, come on up here. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for your refilling. Because here's the thing. You see, all through the New Testament when people said, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been filled before, but they were filled for an event. They were filled for a ministry. They were filled to do something. God is in the business of filling. And when it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a word that means be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is for everybody. So come on as we sing and let's get prayed for together. God bless you.